first time I, I, I heard about the, the, the deals being done in the US, they're doing a, a 70-30 LTV, in some cases, 80-20 LTV. Yeah, yeah. Um, from the rents they collected, they were able to pay their mortgage payment, taxes and fees, third-party property manager, and still pay their investors 8 to 12% per, per annum. And that yeah. was so shocking to me that I'm like, hey, this can't be because I'm so used to, uh, you know, Canadian and Vancouver. Uh, Literally in pure utter shock. And when I heard cash flow and appreciation... I'm like, this cash is flow, gold. appreciation, and forced appreciation. And forced appreciation. So, you know, you got cash flow from day one, you got the, you know, natural appreciation of the market, and then you go in there and force appreciate it. Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a no-brainer for us. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are any of you actively looking for passive investment opportunities right now? Are you looking for great risk-adjusted returns with fantastic cash flow? Are you looking for a trusted sponsor with a proven track record? Well, look no further. For those of you who are not aware, I've actually built a portfolio of over $450 million worth of US multifamily real estate over the last eight years. I have a proven track record of producing fantastic double-digit returns to my investors, and I'm excited to announce that I'm now allowing listeners of the podcast an opportunity to invest directly into my portfolio. For those of you who are interested, head over to reedgoosens.com, sign up for the monthly newsletter, and then click on the Invest with Reed button. And this will be able to schedule a one-on-one call with me to talk about my up-and-coming investment opportunities. So what are you waiting for? Start getting your money working for you today and build financial freedom for the future. Remember, head over to reedgoosens.com and click on the Invest with Reed button. Now, back into the show. 
Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ava Benesoski and August Beniaz. They have joined forces in 2019 to form CPI Capital Group, a Canadian-based real estate investment firm. And they're both extremely passionate about helping the average Canadian investor successfully invest directly into US multifamily syndications with trusted syndicators across high growth markets in the US so Canadian investors can also reap the benefits of cash flow and appreciation. I'm really pumped and excited to have them on the show today to share their incredible insight in their journey but enough of me let's get them out here g'day gang welcome to the show how are you today g'day <laughs> we're doing great great thanks for having us thank you for having us my pleasure and for those people who don't know they can't, you don't have a strong canadian accent you know like a rough or don't you know hey um where are you guys dialing in from today vancouver canada nice nice how's the weather up there right now it's a beautiful time of year i could imagine yeah, it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. The sun's actually shining bright today, so we're feeling we're feeling happy on our end. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, look, diving into the show, I asked the first question for all my guests, um, and, and because there's two of you, we'll go you know, ladies first, one at a time. Rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. My first ever dollar as a kid was doing gardening. <laughs> gardening nice. for my parents. They gave me money to uh, to do some gardening for them. That's my first kind of... <laughs> yeah, and for me, it was uh, working at a pizza shop. I think I was 12 years old. And I remember I, I had to um, uh, seed the olives. Olives would come in with, uh, with, 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 the, with the seed and I had to use this hand machine to, to press the seed out of them. So that's a nice. funny memory. Nice, awesome stuff. And tell me about bringing, uh, growing up in Canada. Was it, is it different? You know, have, have you lived anywhere else so you can compare it to? What was the sort of Canadian uh, childhood like? Yeah, so I'm third generation Canadian and, you know, I grew up in a, in a small city. So a very, very tight knit community that I grew up in. Um, we were all about sports and, and school and, and just having that, that really tight knit community. Um, I moved out to the big city, Vancouver. Um, I, I, about three years ago now, which was definitely a huge step for me. I didn't know anybody out here. Um, and then I started my journey in Vancouver, which was obviously meant to be because I co-founded CPI Capital with August just a few couple of years ago now. Exactly. Yeah. And for <laughs> myself, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, for yourself. Yeah. For myself. Um, yeah, I grew up here in Vancouver as well. Um, and, um, uh, that, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so walk us through the, the backstory of both of you. You clearly didn't just stumble into real estate and, and we'll get into CPI in a minute, but where have you both come from? What did you have careers prior to forming CPI Capital? Yeah, so I was a real estate agent for a decade um, and I, I dealt with a lot of savvy real estate investors, um, you know, I, from Alberta. And then I, of course, transitioned to Vancouver here. Um, and yeah, my, my main objective was to find the best deals for my investors and for them to invest their money into real estate because everybody wants to put their money into real estate. So I was super passionate um, about the real estate uh, since as far as I could remember. <laughs> awesome. August? Yeah, for, for myself, I've, I started my journey in real estate 16 years ago as a licensed agent. Um, I wasn't really good at being a real estate agent, but I was good at finding deals. Um, so I um, started doing small fix and flips. I eventually started my own general contracting company, uh, still doing fix and flips. Uh, then eventually we started building luxury single family homes. And I always wanted to scale my business. So I eventually 
syndicated. I didn't even know what syndicated was at that time, uh, but syndicated multifamily ground up development projects where I would oversee the project, uh, bring on the investors, find the deal, uh, bring on the GC, um, bring on the design marketing team and um, get a portion of the profits of the project. So I fell in love with that, that business model. Um, and um, yeah, we can, uh, I guess it kind of uh, segues into the, the pain points that existed in that business and how CPI all came about. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you, you bring that up. So, so you actively, and it sounds like you're still doing it, uh, fixing and flipping and that then just was morphing into larger and larger projects. Exactly. It's definitely a transition. I'm no longer involved on in real estate on the development side. There are projects that I'm still part of, which are still in some in rezoning, some in development currently. Uh, but when I started out in real estate, uh, the, the, the plan and the goal was to scale uh, into large development projects. But the more and more I was involved in the, de- in the development space, I realized that um, it's not as glamorous as, 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 as it is made to seem, especially here in Canada, because um, uh, the, the real estate is very cyclical. You could start a project out initially having certain performers in place and then uh, realizing a few years down the road uh, that all the numbers have changed because the, the uh, Canadian real estate market, particularly in Vancouver and Toronto, are so, um, you know, uh, foreign investment uh, you know, they're, they're, they're so related to foreign, foreign investment that something could happen in China and would affect the market here. Also, it's not a very business-friendly environment. Uh, you know, uh, Vancouver and Toronto, uh, their, their mortgage laws are very rigid. Um, the, uh, there's also different levels of government. Uh, you know, just uh, the system is, is in place to make it more difficult for developers trying to scale. Um, you got public hearings when the whole project is at the hands of neighbors in the area and they could vote certain thing in or not, uh, or out. And uh, when the margins are just so so thin, uh, you know, if uh, something small could happen or a delay could happen, it would eat away at, at, at a project. And it was also the time horizon. It was a very long tri- time horizon to get a development project done, not like the U.S., uh, and it's unbelievable that uh, as far as the construction costs, com- Canada compared to the U.S., how much more uh, costly it is to build in development projects here in Canada compared to the U.S. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, and also not on the investor side. So if you're bringing on investors to do development projects, there is no element of cash flow. So uh, mm-hmm. nobody's getting paid any uh, returns until the project is built and every single unit is sold. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if that matches certain investors investment thesis, then it makes sense. But most people, especially with, you know, uh, social media and this day and age, they want that cash flow. They want the passive income and ground up development projects, unfortunately don't provide that. It's interesting. You bring that up. Um, I develop, I'm a structural engineer and I've developed a lot of projects here in, in LA and uh, in New York for developers and I worked for a developer for many, many years before starting my own company. So I'd be interested, what is the approval process time in Vancouver today? Like roughly, is it two years from, you know, entitlements to permits or is it longer than that? Yeah, around that two years mark with certain delays. Again, there are public hearings involved. There's also, construction is not only issues as far as, um, you know, rezoning and the zoning issues with the city, but you also got environmental issues. You could mm-hmm. start digging and, and, and you know, uh, find things that uh, would delay the project, even in the structure itself, any, any structure built before 1991. 
uh, has a high chances of having asbestos or other uh, hazardous materials in it. And then also through the course of construction, there's material changes, as we saw with the price of lumber and price of drywall a while ago here in Canada um, and, um, you know, issues with contractors. So it is development definitely is not as glamorous as is made to seem, but there is a lot of money to be made. But that money is mainly for big uh, groups and big corporations that continue scale and that bought land a long time ago uh, is it, a very difficult for a newer, smaller company trying to scale in the space. No, I completely agree with those sentiments in terms of the risk involved and, and, and hence why a certain type of capital that you attract for development deals is, is completely different from that stable, stabilized value add pro, sort of process that we all sort of talk about on this on this program. But it is interesting to hear because two years, you know, I developed in Long Beach, uh, LA County and New York, and it's and even in Austin today where, I, where I'm actively investing, it's about two years to get get stuff through this, to, through through permits from go to woe. That, that's even with buy right. So the approval process in the United States isn't as free flowing as people think it is. Uh, it is still cumbersome, but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Canada, I've always looked at Canada as being the hybrid between Australia and the United States. And it sounds like you guys have multifamily in the in Canada, uh, but in Australia, we don't have as uh, multifamily like you do here in the US and maybe not as much as even you do in Canada. And that's because of our lack of financing vehicles that you mentioned it just before, the selling of the condos off the plan before construction loans get involved. And the, 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 the sophistic- I, want to, I don't want to say sophistication, but the lack of sophistication, the lack of lenders in Australia makes make it all build to sell model, not a build to rent model. And I, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Canada is that hybrid between the US and Australia and has probably those similar issues with the financing and, and condos, you know, coupled with the cost of construction, condos are really the only way forward. Yeah, would, that, would that be a correct statement? Exactly. And, and it all goes back to, the, to, to cap rates. Cap rates being so compressed here in Canada, especially Vancouver and Toronto are around uh, 2%. Uh, wow. It doesn't really yeah. make sense to um, own um, you know, multifamily. And when I, when I see brokers advertising larger multifamily deals, uh, you know, um, that, that are similar to the, the deals we look at in the U.S. And I ask them the question, why would somebody buy this at a 2% cap rate or, or, or below that? And they're like, they do it for capital preservation. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a appreciation game. They just need to park, uh, park their money on this project. This is not in any way. In most cases, they can't even pay their mortgage payment from the rent mm-hmm. they collect. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then, yeah. And then also another diff- main difference that I see between Canada and the U.S. is that a lot of multifamily projects in the U- U.S. are garden style built with a pool and the amenity center uh, in the middle. Uh, here in Canada, we, we build upwards uh, that that kind of, uh, you know, the resort style development projects are not really here in existence. I, I believe it's also for because of the cold it just doesn't make sense. Um, uh, so th- those are the major differences. It was even a point where in Vancouver a few years ago, and even in Toronto, that it's very common to do uh, something called condo conversion, taking apartments and turning them into condos and then selling them. So yeah, I mean, uh, with with the with the uh, you know tremendous rise of real estate values for developers and and active real estate investors, it makes a lot of sense to. Uh, you know, to, to sell condos rather than, uh, you know, going into the business of, and, and it's also the rent to value ratios. I mean, our rent to value ratios are so low mm-hmm. that uh, there's just no margins. There's just no profit. You're in negative cash flow. 
uh, that it, it economically makes no sense. It makes a lot more sense to turn the apartments into condos and sell them. And that's why we have one of the worst uh, housing crisis here um, in, in Vancouver and Toronto, because, exactly because of that. Yeah, no, you, you're saying everything that is exactly what's happening in Australia, cost the rent to value, the cost of construction, the, the, the lack of sophistication in terms of, the, and, and again, sophistication is not the right word, but the lack of financing options. You, we don't have a Freddie or Fannie that can just give you two, three percent, you know, interest only for ten years on, on on a project that they can value the NOI at the end of the development. They have to say, no, I, I can't see that NOI, and I'm just going to you need to sell off the plan. But it boils back into your rent to value. Um, ratio, which you just mentioned, which I completely agree with, and also the cost of construction. Uh, you know, Australia and Canada are so similar because we're still part of the Commonwealth. It's it's just a different structure, uh, and we don't have garden style apartments in Australia, and we're in a warmer climate. So again, it goes back to when you're comparing the colder climate of Canada versus Australia versus America. I think it boils down to that 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 uh, that a financing arm as well, coupled with the cost of construction, just only means penciling for condos is the only way. I know there's a big push in Australia to try and do the build to rent, but it's just trying to find those financing vehicles that 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 do that. And for everyone who's listening, did you just hear two percent cap rates in Vancouver? The reason, part of the reason we'll talk about this, the run up and uh, the run down in cap rates here in the United States is because, in my opinion, the U.S. is the most um, has the highest yield on commercial real estate in any Western country in the world. And when you're coming from Sydney, 2%, Vancouver, 2%, Hong Kong, 2%, a 4% cap rate looks pretty freaking attractive. <laughs> so so I, and I, I bang on that a lot on this show, but that is part of the reason we're seeing so much liquidity in the market is the fact, you know, and this is my two cents standing in my soapbox, you know, the, the, the privacy laws here in the United States are really quite strong for international money. Um, and secondly, is that, that, that cap rate com, you know, comparison when you're comparing to other major um, first world countries around the world, London, Paris, Hong Kong, Australia, Vancouver, that you just, it's still so much more, um, it's so much more attractive. Yeah. So anyway, enough of that, but I really wanted to touch on that because you guys have such an, you know, a similar perspective to I do being boots on the ground in Canada, seeing that disconnect between what you can find available here in the United States versus what you can find uh, on the ground there. So let's pivot into CPI and how that forms. So tell us the story about how you two got together, because I'm sure there's a, there's a pretty good story behind that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and as being real estate professionals and being in this space, uh, what started CPI was the pain points we realized that investors had and uh, the, many of the subjects we, we spoke about, you know, medium home price at $1.3 million. It's not really a, a business model that you could, uh, you know, it's not like, it's not like uh, Florida or Texas where you can buy a home for uh, 300K and rent it out for 2,500 yeah. bucks a month. Uh, you know, um, again, it goes back to those rent to value ratios, but uh, Ava can speak yeah, no, on how everything started. Definitely. And there's this fine line that existed for real estate investors, you know, to be an active or a passive investor um, with the home home prices being such at a high, high level of entry, you can really only scale your portfolio so, so large. So, um, you know, we realized these massive pain points that existed and uh, we were introduced to this syndication concept <laughs> and we actually actually fell in love. 
like from day one. And I'm, I, I, I'll never forget. I'm like, listen, we gotta, we gotta dive deep into this and figure out how we can bring these alternative investments to our fellow Canadians. Cause there is so much opportunity that exists right across the border. And that's where we started our journey. And yeah, exactly. The pain points. I mean, we realized were the rigid, rigid mortgage laws here in Canada the, uh, you know, the thin line that exists between being an active and a passive yeah. investor, uh, the high point of entry in getting into uh, 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 properties that, that existed, medium condo price in Vancouver is $700,000. And also you've so been negative, you, you cash, be in negative flow. cash flow yeah. for, for a long time. So, and, and, and Canadian investors consistently get lots of information online, obviously content coming at them, invest in real estate, invest in real estate. But when they, you know, they have it and sometimes, you know, they might have a difficult time getting approved for their own primary resident, let alone to not try to become real estate investors and continuously buy. And that was that was an issue that Ava noticed in her um, profession as a re, as a real estate agent focusing on investors and also in my business as a developer who was um, sponsoring deals, but didn't want to have my investors and my own uh, uh, equity locked up for five years at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when we realized, you know, um, the such investments that existed on the U.S. side, not only on the private equity concept, uh, but also on the investment itself, on the asset itself, where it was, you know, you're, you're able to, uh, you know, I was watching first time I, I, I heard about the, the, the deals being done in the U.S. They're doing a. A uh, seventy thirty LTV in some cases eighty twenty yeah, LTV. Yeah. Um, from the rents they collected, they were able to pay their mortgage payment, taxes and fees, third party property manager, <laughs> and still pay their investors eight to twelve percent per per annum. And that yeah. was so shocking to me that I'm like, hey, wh- th- this can't be because I'm so used to, uh, you know, Canadian Vancouver. Uh, Literally in pure utter shock. And when I heard cash flow and appreciation. I'm like, this cash is flow, gold. appreciation and forced appreciation and forced appreciation. So, you know, you got cash flow from day one, you got the, you know, natural appreciation of the market, and then you go in there and force appreciate it. Uh, it, it was, it was, a, it was a no brainer for us. And then now on the private equity side of it to be able to, you know, being, uh, Ava and I both being the facilitators and being the middleman, me as a contractor, I, I get paid to uh, build a home for a client or be involved in a, a multifamily project. I get paid no matter what happens with the, with, with the market. Same thing as a real estate agent, they get, they get their commission no matter what happens. But in the private equity space, uh, the general partner is compensated relative to the performance of their asset and their performance. So we, I, we fell in love not only with the asset, but also with the business model, with, with this, within this space where, you know, your the, the, the feet of the GP is held to the fire to make sure that they, 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 they you know, they perform. perform. And so, so, you know, it, it was just beautiful on both sides, looking at it from the view of an investor or from an active real estate uh, investor. And, and we realize, you know, there's billions of dollars uh, of Canadian capital being deployed into the U.S. every year. Um, so we started looking around Canada and seeing if there's other companies out there that are partnering with retail investors to focus on deploying retail capital to the U.S. And we looked around, Reed, and there's not a lot going on on the side of the border, but we knew it was possible. So we partnered up with the best lawyers and accountants, and we built up our corporate structure um, to, to obviously, uh, you know, tax efficient corporate structure for our fellow Canadians. And that's where it all began. Yes. But we put our feet to the fire, <laughs> what's the word? And we, uh, we put, both, put our foot on the gas pedal. Put our foot on the 
Newcastle. And we uh, we had to both leave our careers and fully focus on building this company from the ground up. Yep. Because we didn't have, we didn't have, um, uh, what's, what, what's the word I'm looking for? We didn't have um, any, anything, to, we, we didn't have anything to look up to. So we had to build it from the ground up, uh, put our own systems in place. We didn't have a blueprint we didn't in have the a U.S. Blueprint. There's so many yeah. other groups and companies doing these yes. business models. And when we came to copy that, we're like, oh, hold on a second. There is no 506C. There is no 506 Terminology B. is completely. Oh, hold on a second. Hey, let's start an LLC. There is no LLC no in LLC. Canada. We got, yeah. we got a, yeah. co- a corporation, a C-Corp that you you guys call in the US and we have a limited partnership, but there's no hybrid as they have it in the US. So, yeah, so we started putting in our 12, 16 hour days and we still are putting in our 12, 16 hour days and we're really seeing traction. Um, and then, yeah, just getting Canadians familiarized. Awesome. With- uh, I've talked a little bit about on this show, the steps, and I've spoken on other shows about the steps that international investors need to take in order to, for me as an operator, for me to accept their money, there's just a bunch of stuff they need to do. I'm sure it's very similar and I don't need to repeat it, but I would love you guys to repeat what it is that Canadians have to do in order to be set up correctly here in the US, because I think that is very key to understanding the process before you can go start investing in a deal in, say, Texas or Tampa or or Orlando or Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, no, exactly. And and it again, goes back to the, the information coming at Canadian and international investors about uh, you know, creating an LLC and investing through an LLC. A lot of operators in the U.S. will, that's the requirement they have for their international investors. Sure, you can invest with us. You're from Canada or you're from uh, Hong Kong or, uh, uh, you know, Great Britain. You want to invest with us? Sure. Create a U.S. LLC and you can invest through that LLC. But mm-hmm. there's also issues there because in particular with Canada, um, the CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency, sees an LLC as a corporation, any kind of returns that come back from an LLC back to Canada will be double taxed. They are seen mm-hmm. as, as dividends from a corporation. Now, it does make sense for a uh, an investor who's looking to keep their, um, uh, their their capital in the U.S., possibly planning to move to the U.S. in some in, in the future, or has other plans or businesses in the U.S. Then it makes sense. Sure, you can, you can invest through. An LLC, but if the the plan is to have that cash flow and and repatriate their funds, um, the the LLC won't work. Um, uh, now, what makes it even more complicated in our case, we we um, we needed to have a control, and uh, we need to have control over our investors, and so it couldn't be that investors would come to us and we just forward them to our fund in the U.S. There had to be a fund here in Canada. So that's why we created a, a tax efficient fund of fund structure where all our Canadian investors invest into a Canadian fund managed by us. And that Canadian fund invests into a U.S. fund, which is managed by uh, the general partnership, which is us and our U.S. partners. G'day, g'day guys. I quickly want to tell you about some exciting things happening right now. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. 
And talk to me about what is the alternative, because you bring up a good point of the LLC versus, so what, what entity structure do you have to set up in the US in order to not avoid that double taxation for Canadian investors? It gets a bit more complicated, but it's a web of corporations, limited partnerships, and other entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it uh, you know, we have an org chart that's like a, <laughs> a web, um, and, and and the and the cost does make sense that goes into building this when it's a fund when we have uh, tens of investors mm-hmm. and what have you because the cost for creating the fund uh, gets divided between the investors and it's a nominal nominal amount. But if a single investor is looking to use this process, it doesn't really economically make sense. And mm-hmm. you also got. Um, uh, you know, on, on, on the U.S. side, you know, the, the asset, uh, the, the operator eventually provides a K-1 to the investors. Uh, but in our case, CRA doesn't accept a K-1. Uh, we need to convert that K-1 uh, on the fund uh, level to a T-5013 uh, and, and uh, then convert that T-5013 to sub-T-5013s for individual investors who then they can take that T fifty thirteen to their to, to 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 their Canadian accountant and say, hey, I've, I've paid my U.S. taxes on the income I've made over here, so uh, I don't want to be double taxed, and here is the proof that I've paid for it. And there, then they, uh, then a foreign tax credit is in place. And, and what we realize is, you know, there there are large institutions, for example, um, Canadian pension fund partner with Graystar on the US side to buy multifamily. So there is, just like Ava said, there are billions of dollars annually going into the US mm-hmm. uh, from Canada, in particular into the multifamily space. And there are other companies who also facilitate, but the educational component was non-existent. Uh, so uh, when Ava and I started CPI, we also started Canadian Passive Investing Academy alongside CPI, where it's our YouTube show, our newsletter we send out, and all, also uh, one-on-one uh, you know, um, non-monetized uh, coaching calls that we have with uh, investors and partners about about uh, to you know to make um, you know to 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 shed light on many of these uh, items that exist when it when it comes to taxation. So our process when we talk to investors, we talk about taxation from day one. We try to put a uh, if if they they don't have a cross border accountant, we put a cross border accountant in place for them and 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 um, refer them to a, a cross border taxation group. So it's not a situation where now um, the tax comes up and they're rushing to trying to file their taxes. Um, so it's, it's a very hands-on. And also because we're newer in the space, we want to be in the space for a long time. And it's important to have happy investors so they can continue to invest with us and spread the word. 100%. I, I, I completely agree with all that stuff. And it's great that you've gone through the agonizing process to learn what the big boys are doing in terms of the Canadian Pension Funds partnering with the, 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 the superpowers of Greystar. It clearly can be done, right? It just You're trying to get that access of information to the average investor in Canada and replicate it just on a smaller level. So, so well done, well done for, for doing that. What do you, how do you deal with the exchange rate? Because there's obviously exchange rate risk that comes involved with that. And a lot of my dealings with international investors has been that they're concerned about it, particularly come from Australia where the Australian dollar might not be as strong as the Canadian dollar versus the US. That adds a risk that could also eat away at your cash flow. So how are you mitigating against that, if at all? Yeah, so our Canadian investors, they actually open up a U.S. bank account. They invest in USD and all returns come back in USD. Yeah, and the advice I give to our Canadian investors is see this as a U.S. investment. So the moment that, you you know, if if you already have U.S. funds and you're investing with your U.S. funds or you're converting it, the moment that conversion takes place, don't look at this investment as 
as as a, as a convertible kind of what it is in, in in the original funds it was in. It just it's a U.S. investment, and the returns are in U.S. And you know your your final repayment is in U.S. So it's a U.S. investment all the way through. But but that does. But you're talking about how you try and get that cross collateral back to the, the cash flow back to the United States uh, to Canada. So that has to play an issue at some point, right? Um. Uh, yeah. So so the so the original investment is in is in U.S. dollars. The yep. the uh, the cash flow that comes back comes back in U.S. dollars into their Canadian USD account. But got it, got it, got it. it's, it's more of a mental thing rather than an economic thing. Is is this is I'm making this investment in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. This is my U.S. investment. I'm not going to go on to uh, go on to a website and check the difference every day and see how it affects. Sure. My, just look at it as a U.S. investment and potentially long term where you can reinvest the gains you've made into other U.S. investments, but it's a U.S. investment. Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. And the same same analogies that I was telling telling to my other Australian and, and European investors, it is a U.S. investment. You bring it here for a period of time and then you may take your your, your, your lumps back at some point in five, six, seven years time. And, and at that point, you may have to deal with some, some exchange risk, which we all have to do. Um, but it could be both ways. The risk it could, could be, be both also ways. on the positive side, True. right? So it, it, yeah. it depends. And, and if, if, it, if it's a situation where your, your original, uh, uh, you know, currency has, has uh, depreciated at that time, you can reinvest with, with other operators or with the same operator you're with. So you're not stuck into that. But it's, 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 it's a mindset thing rather than an economic. Com- complete. And there's a little bit of differences between someone who's in Australia and Europe versus Canada where, you know, pre-COVID, you come across the border and happily spend dollars, you know, on a US vacation, right? It's very easy to come across the border where a lot of Australians and international, you know, that have to get on a flight, it's a little bit different. So uh, I know when I talk to, to some of my, a handful of my Aussie investors, they they are, um, they're, they're aware of that. It's sort of more like the slush fund when they come to holiday in the United States. So uh, that, that's awesome. What has been the biggest challenge that you guys have faced in, education, uh, edu- edu- educating the, the average Canadian investor about the, the benefits of investing here in the United States. <laughs> you know what? This is a funny one. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that we've had is that the returns are too high. <laughs> so our advisors um, and people actually think it's too good to be true. Um, mm. So could be so, the, it could work in your negative when you're talking absolutely. about uh, you know 18, 20, 22 percent annual returns, and, and the Canadian investors are happy with their five, six percent annualized returns. So we we were told from our advisors, you know, maybe kind of bring those returns down a little bit because then people won't think it's too good. We're like, hold on, this is our performer. We've already been conservative on every single <laughs> uh, number that we've used here. Like that's fine, just bring it lower. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's as funny. soon as you. Totally. Yeah. Totally. When I talk to investors and, you know, there's a lot of scam things that happen too in this world, in this, in this mm-hmm. space. Um, but, you know, you always point out who, who are the partners that we've partnered with? Who are the lawyer, lawyers? What accounting firm? You know, we've partnered with the top lawyers and accounting firms yes. um, in this space. So the yeah. great thing about real estate and real estate private equity is your investment is 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 backed up by actual tangible asset, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are a lot of investments, like Ava mentioned, like uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, you know um, uh, and and other types of venture capital uh, companies and startups that there are a lot of risk. But in real estate, I mean, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, personal opinion, I think real estate has much less risk, especially real estate, private equity, or this exempt market that we're in has much less risk than the stock market. People, you know, the stock market is seen as, as 
as, as the market. And it seems like, hey, it's not a risky investment where, in my opinion, stock market is more risky, um, especially if you're not an expert, uh, than, than real estate. You know, real estate is just there. It's cash flowing from day one. You got the richest country in the world. You know, you know, with people making, you know, the median income being the highest in the world, uh, you know, that, so. Can you tell we're in love with it? <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to, to, to ask is, do you get the do you get the tax benefits in Canada? I like you in Australia and in the States. Do you get tax benefits of owning a physical asset in the U.S.? Yeah, so uh, high level. I'm not asking for, for detail. Yeah, not, not, high level. not not really. So I mean, obviously on the U.S. side, you got depreciation and many other tax benefits that exist. Also, you got the 1031 exchange. So uh, some tax benefits can be, um, uh, you know, sent down to the investors, but but not all. And again, again, it's it goes back to what's the plan of the investor? Is the investor planning to? eventually move to the US or are they planning to keep their investment in the US? But if the plan is to repatriate their investment, then a lot of tax benefits that exist on US side don't follow through to the investor. Got it. Got it. Very, very interesting. Um, well, look, I want to thank you both for coming on the show as we start to wrap up here. What What is the future hold for you guys now that CPI is so young, uh, but it's looking to, to expand? What do you guys got in store for the next five to 10 years, both personally, but also professionally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our target to have um, a billion dollars assets under management uh, with the co-syndication business model that we have. We already have $92 million of assets under management. So the billion dollar mark doesn't look that far away. Um, uh, but but initially, I mean, it goes back to the CPS inception. The plan was to be the operator. Yes. But when re- realizing that other companies who were the operator and who had 40, 50, 100 employees, those Paychecks paid to the employees are coming out of the investors' gains. You know, those, the money that just doesn't get created in thin air. Um, well, in some cases it does. Uh, the $4 trillion that the U.S. government <laughs> just printed gets created in thin air. But uh, uh, I'm just being facetious. But now going back, the, you know, it's for, so for, um, for, for these investment groups, you know, they have a lot of employees. And um, so for us, is, is starting out, we realized that this co-syndication model makes a lot of sense. It uh, makes a lot of sense and brings the, the cost uh, significantly down than to be the operator. But the eventual plan is also be the operator. Uh, now, to be the operator, we have to have the infrastructure in the region we want to be in. We have to have our asset manager. We have to have the connections with the brokers. We have to have uh, the property managers in place and employees in place. So the eventual plan is to, to, to come up with a region that we feel comfortable uh, enough to have that infrastructure in. We're on the West Coast of Canada. A lot of West Coast investors do invest in Arizona and also Nevada. So the plan is to create some form of infrastructure possibly in, in Arizona. But what we're realizing is a lot of our majority of our investors are from East Coast or they're from Toronto, Ontario. Mm, they are, so yeah. it's like we're, we're, still, we're still figuring things out, but currently we want to have that deal flow we want to find the right, the best operators with the best track record uh, to to have happy investors, and then eventually uh, diversify and grow from there to do our own in-house deals. Yes, awesome, awesome stuff. Well, guys, I wish you all the best. Um, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. Do you ready to get into it? Yes, please. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, Ava, for you, you can go first. Uh, what is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? 
did uh, business or personal? Sorry. Oh, either or. You know what? 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 You could be personal. It could be business. A daily habit that I have is take care of yourself first. So I go to the mm-hmm. gym in the morning. Um, nice. My you, daily, you, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go. Yeah, my daily is 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 called triage the day. Um, <laughs> uh, trying to put out fires, but it's it, it's just um, knowing what the day is supposed to, all, all the plans and all the schedules, but also what what are those. Uh, most important goals that you could get done in the day that, um, you know, uh, goes back to your, uh, you know, uh, your goal, if it's a monthly goal or is a company goal, what can I do today to uh, solve this problem or to, to get to my goal sooner aside from, the, so it's a daily triaging of, of tasks. Awesome. No, I, I, I love both those answers. I'm, I'm also a gym person, maybe not necessarily in the morning, but, but, uh, uh, more meditation and, and t- t- be calm before I got to get into the fire because sometimes if you don't take that time for yourself, you, see, you feel like you're being sabotaged for the day. Yeah. So awesome stuff. Uh, question number two is, what is who is the most influential person in your career to date, Ava? You, you first. August. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> really? Yes, August. Oh, August nice. The most influential person, yeah, I'd have to say. Awesome, yeah. awesome. And August? Uh, who's the most influential person in my business today? Uh, the people, or, or just in general? You know, it could it could be someone else that you had as growing up. The most influential in my current business today has got to be Dan Hanford. Um, uh, I, I, I um, he was the first, when I said the word syndication, he was the first YouTube show that I watched. I'm like, what? What is what is this guy named Dan Hanford doing? True. So I, I I've always got to give him the accolades he deserves. Yeah. Uh, but personally and in life, as my mom uh, is the most influential person for me in business. Uh, the, her frugality and her, her viewpoint and her sharpness uh, and her love of real estate. So um, those are my two um, influential peoples. Love it. Love it. Uh, question number three is what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a, like a, day, uh, a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run your business without. Okay. What is it? That's going to be my CRM HubSpot. Got it. Love it. Love it. Yours, August? It's got to be the, my university, YouTube. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you guys have a university as well? No, 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 like actual university. Oh, right, right. <laughs> got it. Awesome. It's like, awesome. No, it's incredible. It's, it's people don't realize how lucky they are uh, these days about the, the amount of information and content that exists on YouTube. It's truly, uh, you know, unbelievable. Is it come up with a the subject that you want to educate yourself in and you can get so many different perspectives and content available on YouTube. Uh, hammering, hammering it in to a point that even if you wanted to forget, you couldn't forget it. Yeah, true. No, I love it. No, and that's you're exactly correct. The access to information, particularly in the US, around real estate investing, since I've been here over the last ten years, is just it's blown up, and it was so much bigger when I when I came from Australia, and probably even the same as you guys coming from Canada. So I um, completely agree with that, one hundred percent. Second last question is: In one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career or lesson? And what did you learn from that failure or lesson um, you know, in, in the growth of this company? Yes, for sure. Um, my biggest failure was probably trying to do it all by myself without having a blueprint. Um, going back, I would have tried to um, really find that blueprint uh, to save myself a lot of headache and a lot of uh, lost sleep. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it uh, goes back to Dan Sullivan's book, um, uh, Who Not How, and uh, it's, it's uh, hiring or retaining the their wrong 
a person for the job and then trying to uh, trying to uh, turn them into what I was hoping for them to achieve, trying to morph them into something that they really weren't, where, I, where in fact I could have just gone and found the right person for the job. Right. Yep. Outsourcing for sure. Love it. Uh, and last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Awesome. You can find me on, I'm very active on LinkedIn, Eva Berasaki, um, and I'll, I'll be there. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you can reach us. Um, cpicapital.ca is our website, CPI Capital on LinkedIn. And um, uh, we're easy to find yes. just a phone call away, just a message away. And myself, August Biniaz on LinkedIn as well. Awesome stuff, guys. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Some of the key takeaway points that I took away were writing down a bunch of notes here. I think it's you know very similar sentiments that I've had you know, bringing Australian investors to the United States. It's, it's through the education, understanding what else is out there. It's interesting to hear that you have got to water down those returns to make it seem not, you know, it's too good to be true for your Canadian investors, but also then going through the rigmarole of, of the taxation, the double taxation, the, the, the all the red tape that you need to be really well versed on because you're trying to raise capital from Canadian investors to place in the United States. And if you guys aren't well versed on it, which you guys are now, you, you wouldn't be seen as an authority uh, in the space, but you've gone out and you spent the hours, you spent the time getting the right people and, and right advice to go off and be successful. So I think that is a real kudos to you guys. Um, but in general, I think just it, it's your hustle and, and it, I can clearly feel it through the camera about what you're trying to achieve here uh, with CPI. So, so really, really well done. Um, did I leave anything out? No, no, that's that's it. great, Reed. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome, guys. Look, I, I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thank you so much. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Ava and August. And remember, they are both active on LinkedIn. So please jump over to LinkedIn and hit them up. Also go to cpicapital.ca, which obviously stands for Canada, uh, to check them out. And if you want to reach out to them, please do so on their website. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. If you want to reach out to me, reach out to me at reedgoosens.com or you can find me on Instagram or all the social medias. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold be brave and go give life a crack.